Good morning, Rimrock. Glad you guys are here this morning. I'm excited to just continue celebrating and praising our King for his death and resurrection. I hope that you guys had a great restful Easter weekend last weekend, and let's just continue praising God for who he is.
why we sing for all that he's done for us. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless to this I
the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, right? Amen. I love it. God is so worthy of praise. You know, it's so um, important for us as Christians that we meet on Sundays because of the resurrection. We are the people who have received and believed in the reality of the historic and true resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we, we make a big deal of it on Easter, but every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And so as we sang, not I, but Christ in me, that's the reality that when we are poor, he is rich. When we're weak, uh, he is strong. When we lack, he has everything we need. And so we find our sufficiency in Christ. And so every Sunday, that's our declaration, not I, but Christ. And so that's what we are all about here at Rimrock Church. We want to proclaim Christ, and we want to declare our dependency on Christ, on Christ alone. Well, if you're here uh, for the first time, we want to welcome you. If you've been here many times, we welcome you. We are so thankful for each of you. Um, the, the church is not the building. It's the people of God that God is calling to himself, redeemed by his grace, and is uh, renewing day by day uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit until Christ comes again. Uh, and Nick's going to be preaching this morning. I'm so excited. We're going to be finishing our Revelation series in Revelation 22. And what a joy to see what God is doing. Um, if, uh, if you're new, would you fill out, there's a little pamphlet in front of your seat, a card, and we would love to, to welcome you and get to know you. Uh, you can put that on the, in, the, in the gathering place or in the offering box, and uh, we'd love to, love to welcome you. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, there's a women's treat coming up April 28th, 30th. You can look at details in your bulletin. Um, Ikalaka Camp for Kids is happening uh, soon. Today's the last uh, deadline, so that's happening at the end of the month of the deadline to register is today, so uh, don't miss that. And then uh, we have something special today. I'm going to invite Steve Biggie to come up. So thankful for Steve and Teresa, um, who are part of our, our community here. Uh, thankful for their service and, and worship. Um, but Steve is part of a team, uh, a capital campaign team, because God has provided an amazing space for the church, our downtown campus at 507 Main Street. And so Steve is going to be telling us a little bit about what God is doing and how uh, we can join together. So thank you, Steve. Thanks, Ben. <clears throat> Good morning, Rimrock. <clears throat> God is at work in downtown Rapid City, and he's inviting us to join him in that work. As many of you know, God has provided us with a new, larger space, and the congregation voted to purchase, in January, what has been the Rapid City Journal Building, located at 507 Main Street in downtown Rapid City. Excuse me. Rimrock, uh, just by way of reminder, we've outgrown our current St. Joseph Street facility, Rimrock downtown has been running two services on Sunday mornings, and often those are at 80% of seating capacity. 80% is widely considered to be the threshold beyond which it's difficult for a church to grow because when new people show up, they can't find a place to sit, and so they don't come back. <clears throat> In addition, uh, currently what's going on downtown, there are some children's Sunday school classes meeting in a hallway, and other students are walking down to meet at Starbucks. And while the growth we've seen downtown is cause for rejoicing, 
it requires a new plan going forward. The purchase of this 507 Main Street building will allow Rimrock to expand our ministry of offering the hope and the love of Jesus right in the heart of the city. <clears throat> As you can imagine, the building will need to be renovated to fit the needs of the church to include a worship center and dedicated space for a nursery, children's ministry, uh, and small community meeting rooms. Please be, in, please be in prayer for the building and design team as they work diligently to come up with the best design for Rimrock Ministries. And in order to fund this opportunity, we're beginning a three-year capital campaign with a kickoff celebration. That's the note on the screen, and there's also a note in your bulletin. You and your family are invited to join us here at the Johnson Siding Campus for a meal from KZ Backyard Barbecue at 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, May 7th. The meal will be followed by a program to outline the vision, the plan, and the opportunity we have before us. A separate meal and childcare will be provided for children third grade and younger. Please RSVP to the church office if you'd like to come, just so we can have an idea of how much food to have. You can find additional information about the new building on the church website by clicking on the downtown tab at the top of the homepage. Additionally, <clears throat> I will be available out in the lobby by the welcome desk after the service to answer any questions that you might have. We look forward to seeing all of you who are able to make this event on Sunday, May 7th at 4.30 right here. Uh, thank you, and if you would join me as we uh, pray for the service this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are a good God, and you provide us with all good things. We are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to worship you this morning and to join together with brothers and sister believers to share in this worship celebration. Be with us. Send your spirit here to move among us. Be with the worship team as we continue in worship. And be with Nick as he brings the message. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
you are holy, holy, holy. And you are worthy, God. You are worthy than, of more than just a few moments of stillness, God. But may you just remind us often to take a moment, God, and be still and remember all that you have done. God, we pray now that you would still our hearts and minds, God, that we might hear from you still us of our agendas and our preferences, God, that we might hear the truth from you of what you want for our lives, God, and be broken and be molded towards that, God, and for that. We pray that you would be with Nick as he brings your word this morning, God, and may we receive it. God, may our lives be changed because of it. morning friends Caleb you nailed the bass brother well done kind of a an exciting Sunday we are in the last book of our series the book of Revelation chapter 22 which is the last book of the Bible so I was talking to a friend out in the lobby about being in uh, in the last chapter, and he said, I hope we start over. Um, and, and we will. We're not closing the doors. We, we can uh, dive into this for all eternity. So, uh, But it's kind of a fun, um, fun way to wrap up a series, also realizing in some ways we're wrapping up uh, what God calls his holy scriptures and his word to us. 
And as I've looked into this, I, I realized that uh, Revelation chapter 22 has a little bit of a, a flow. Um, I really believe the book of Revelation has a real similar flow. And come to find the book of the Bible has similar flow and message. And so I think it's, it's awesome how we can dive into one chapter and then begin to learn about the story of God and really about our story. And so today we're going we're gonna to unpack a bit of Revelation chapter 22, but really what's on my heart is to go back to the beginning. So we're going to take the book of, first part of Genesis, we're going to look at the last book of the Bible, and it helps, I think, seeing both of these bookends really informs all of the things that take place in the middle there, as well as, I think, helps make sense of, of my own life and, and your life as well. And so as we, as we dive in, would you guys uh, just posture your hearts to pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your revelation, for making yourself known to us and for giving us capacity to, to know you in an intimate and personal way. And when I look at uh, your history interacting with man and woman, uh, you have set aside these beautiful places that you have sanctified these spaces and places that we can interact with you in real, personal, and intimate ways. And God, we look for um, you to be here now. Um, we gather together uh, to experience you. And as much as I want to experience you here now with uh, brothers and sisters, with your people, uh, for others to be welcomed into that who might not have that experience in the past, uh, we're so grateful that you have um, made the way to make your home within us. And God, I pray now that your spirit would manifest itself in our own lives. Uh, give us hope and let everything that happens in this church cry glory to our King. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation 22. And before, we, before I start reading, I think it's probably appropriate to figure out Okay, what have, so revelation, what has been revealed to us? Uh, the apocalypse or the revelation of God, what has he made known? What has he brought into the open that we can see? And so what are some kind of high view pictures of, of what we know? Uh, we know this book has made very obvious that Jesus Christ is coming again, that the second coming is going to take place. And at the second coming, there's going to be a final judgment talked a lot about how all will stand before a righteous, just, sovereign God and be judged by their works. Throughout this book, we've discussed how we really get two options. We are judged by our own works, or we are judged by the work of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, that was depicted in books. that says, all of my deeds are written in a book. And as God, the judge, will open that up, and cast judgment upon me for what I have done, says I can either stand before him with my own book, or I can claim Jesus' book. And I love that image and that picture that, that the front of that thing says Nick Ewing, and when God the Father opens that, he sees the life of Jesus Christ. Perfect holiness, perfect obedience to make me acceptable to God. And so in that final judgment will determine um, the rest of our story. We know that he is um, determined to make a new creation. And so the old will pass away and the new things will come. Scripture often talks about a new heaven and a new earth. 
And when we think, okay, what's that going to be like? Some of the things that we know is that all evil will be eliminated. Hebrews says it will be worn out. Uh, it will be shaken and removed so that only good remains. And so in that process, as we've read through this book, uh, the similar message has been brought forth. Jesus is coming. There will be a final judgment, the resurrection of the dead, and new creation will be established. And in the midst of that new creation, we've read of lots of suffering. We've read a lot about um, some pretty uh, epic pictures of what it will look like to destroy evil. And my encouragement to you and my reminder to myself is understanding that the heart of God is to restore a kingdom that has been unraveled. The heart of God is to renew something that has been stained by the effects of sin. And so the good heart of God says and is longing and what I've seen here is continuing to warn and beg that we would come underneath his reign and his sovereignty so that we too might become a part of all that is good. And so all of the suffering and all of the tragedy and all the things that we experience in the here and now, we're not running away from that. We can't outrun the curse. But we can set our hope on the fact that God is determined to restore all things. And so as we read into this, I'd like us to continue to keep this, this high view, this big picture, uh, the major things in our hearts and in our minds. So starting in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 describes the river of life. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this first picture we get is this throne and a river of life flowing from it in the middle of the city. And on each side, there's incredible... Uh, life vegetation. Uh, it talks about trees. This is similar in, remember, uh, Psalms 1. Uh, Ezekiel 47 describes a similar thing where it says, everywhere the water goes, life comes. And as we know in Revelation, who's the river? Who's the water? It's Jesus Christ. This is depicted as coming from God. So again, the message is that God is the center of all of this. That God is the source of life. God is the source of goodness. And from him produces uh, fruit for the nations. Nations will heal when they partake of God. And so understanding and knowing that as we currently live in a cursed world that has tragedy and heartache, we need healing. And all of that healing is going to come from God. So the reminder of what we already know, that God is the center of this story. Continuing to go on, uh, verse 3 says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more, and they will have no need of lamp. Or son, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with him forever. So right away it gives us this picture of a kingdom, that there will be no more, nothing accursed, that God will be there and we will see his face, and his name will be written on our foreheads. 
I believe that means that we will see God and know him in a deep and intimate and personal way, and we will identify with him. We will be like him as his image bearers, that we will know him in a personal and unique way. Now, as we think about this, hopefully this language is real familiar, and hopefully part of you is saying, I experience that now. I know God now. I receive my identity from him now. His name is written on me. Is this not the same message that we've talked about over and over and over? So what we see in Revelation is many of these things are future promises that will be completely and fully realized at a day to come. But are these not current realities as well? Much of what we read is applicable to us in the here and now, and I believe that's why when Christ came, he says, the kingdom of God is where? It is here. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. Right now, we have glimpses. We have shadows. Uh, we have real experiences that are anchored in a real God with hope. But we're still surrounded with this curse. We're still surrounded with this heartache. And so as I hope you hear these promises, you can understand and grasp that I experience much of that now, though not fully. And I really think that's the truth of the Bible. We'll talk about what more of what it's like for God to be in this process of restoration that we can experience now, but where we look forward to and we long for and we groan for the day that it will be totally realized. Interesting, as we look through Revelation, you get a new heaven and a new earth. You get uh, a new garden, perhaps. We'll go back to Genesis like I promised. It talks about a new Jerusalem. So there's a new garden, there's a new city. Uh, but what there isn't is there's not a new temple. Why is that? All throughout the Bible, it talks about the garden, talks about a city, talks about a place. And God has always set aside his temple. First, it was the tent of meeting and the tabernacle when Israel was roaming around, and that was the special place they would go to interact with God. And then Solomon built his temple, and we know that was destroyed. And then what happened? Jesus comes, and where is the temple now? Us. It's where God dwells. It's where God is. And so this is this beautiful culmination that says, where God is in a deep, intimate, personal way where you can see his face, that's the temple. And so again, understand the present reality is that we are the dwelling place of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we look forward to the day where our faith will become sight, where our faith in the Savior, we will see him face to face. Can you imagine? Hopefully we're in a deep habit of thanking Jesus for what he has done. At Corporately, we've done it over and over already today. Hopefully that has brought you to your knees, melted your eyes to tears. Hopefully that has set joy within your heart where you continue to show gratitude for the mercy and the goodness of God on your behalf. But could you imagine looking into the eyes of your Savior and being able to verbalize, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what the fulfillment of all of this will be. Amen?
And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. This is an angel of the Lord. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Verse 8, I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me. But he said, you must not do that. I am your fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. And so this is not the first time that this has happened where someone has been in the presence of one of God's messengers, an angel, and has fallen down in fear or fallen down in worship. And the angel says, don't do that. I am a fellow servant here to worship our king. So going back to this kingdom analogy where the most important part of a kingdom is who? The king. The most important part of a kingdom is the king. And so we continue to see Jesus Christ being front and center where the angel says the building of the kingdom is about worshiping the king and about all of his servants coming underneath his rule, about all of his servants coming underneath his lordship so that the kingdom reflects who? The kingdom might reflect the king. And I believe that's what this book is about. I believe that's what your life is about. I believe that's what our church is about. I believe that's what all of existence is about, is establishing God, the creator of all things, as king and bringing everything in line under that. You remember when man comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, really interesting, he says, why do you call me good? God alone is good. I think his point is, to put front and center that God is the source of all goodness. And so the only way we experience that is when we are in line with him. In fact, when we are unioned and come underneath, come together with him. So the heart of God, I think, in, in creation and allowing us to have a part is to sharing his goodness with us. So if we go back to the garden and back to creation... Second Peter says this. This is an interesting, uh, interesting piece. So Second Peter uh, 3 talks about the, the day of the Lord and his coming, the final word. Uh, but in chapter, in verse 4, it says, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. I think it's talking about this is really the same story. And so if we dive back into that story, if you remember when God makes creation and he forms Adam and Eve and he gives them tasks, right? First, he says that they're made in whose image? They're made in his image. They're called to be image bearers of the king, the most important piece. He says, I want you to fill the land. I want you to rule the land. I want you to cultivate the land. And I want you to obey me in all of this. So they have these assignments and these tasks. You are my image bearer, so you're here to be an ambassador of me. You're, be, you're here to reflect me, and you're here to build my kingdom that expresses who I am. And so you need to be fruitful and multiply. And that doesn't just mean have babies. That means have other image bearers that will reflect who I am. That's discipleship. That means have others and fill the earth with other followers of God 
And as you put order to where I've placed you, this space, that will grow my kingdom and expand my kingdom, cultivate my kingdom where I rule. So the most important part of that is I need you to trust the king. I need you to trust me and obey my word in order to make my kingdom grow. That's the initial task, and I think that's the story of the Bible, and I think that's your story. Okay, so how did they do? Well, let's look at Genesis, the first command, Adam and Eve fail here. And then if we look at Revelation, where I believe the kingdom is being established, it's still the same. That's what he's going to fulfill. So the Old Testament, we got a group of people, Israel, that God sets aside. And this isn't like a national pride thing. This is a group of people that he wants to follow him and come under his rule. And so this isn't a segregation thing. If you look in Scripture, all kinds of foreign people, if they wanted to come underneath the king, they got to be a part of the kingdom, didn't they? It's, again, it's the idea of the most important part. And so in the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, they have filled the land. They multiplied, but not very well. Because when they multiplied, who'd they multiply with? Sometimes with other God-fearing people, but other times with idolaters. So they bring in and they begin to multiply in number, but it's tainted and it's stained because they're trusting in themselves and their own wisdom and their own desires and their own pleasures. And so pretty soon we see kind of a stained group of people, some that follow at times and welcome in others that do not. They... They get some land, they acquire some land, right? But it's very intermittent. Sometimes they're enslaved and then they're set free and promised Canaan or the promised land or the land of milk and honey. And so they begin to acquire land and they begin to put some order to that, but they don't do that very well, do they? And so as rulers, they start to rule the land. Remember judges and kings. So there's sprinkled in there, there are a few faithful, aren't there? There are a few that God continues to hold on to and that continue to hold on to the promise of God. In other words, they come underneath his kingship. And so they, they have elements of fulfilling these commands, but all of them are stained, all of them are tainted because they could never fulfill the last. Obey me. Another way, trust me more than you trust yourself. Let me be God, not you. And, in the, and all throughout the history of God's people, they continued to glimpses of victory, moments that we experience heaven on earth, little pockets where the kingdom reigns in a man's heart or in a tribe's heart or in this one space. But over and over and over, they still could not fulfill their part of the deal. Obey me, trust me. And when we enter into the New Testament, we see the invasion of God himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus bursts on the scene and does what man could never do. Let's look at the New Testament. So here's the covenant. Ezekiel 35, 27. God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
Again, though, that's the part we could never fulfill. That's the part that man continued to fail in. 26 and 28 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. And I will place them in the land and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So this, this could be sounding like Revelation 22, could it not? This could be saying God promises to be the hero of his own story and to bring us into that river of life, to bring us into that perfect kingdom, that restored kingdom. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So we still see God doing the same thing, but what man failed in, he does himself. So Jesus comes on the scene, and it says he does away with the old covenant. He fulfills the law perfectly. He establishes his new covenant, where we see when Jesus, even on earth, when he touches somebody and heals them, what's that about? That's about the restoration of a physical body. When he touches a heart and he says, your sins are forgiven. It's about the restoring of a spiritual life. And so as Christ is walking on earth, we see the kingdom of God indeed is among them. And he is still in the midst of the brokenness, is he not? He's still in the midst of pain and he's still in the midst of suffering. But in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he was accomplishing on earth, you can see that he is beginning to restore and renew and bring hope back into the original design. And as we've talked through Easter and as we've talked through this series, when Jesus Christ took his place on the cross to become the curse, 2 Corinthians 5, that to take on the sin of the world, so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Back to the temple. Do you not know that if you are in Christ, you are his temple? So you continue to think about those commands in the garden. How does Jesus multiply his goodness? How does he fill the earth with his goodness? He gives us himself in the spirit of God. And so it's here, and it's there, and it's there, and it's there, and it's there. What's he doing? He's building his kingdom, is he not? He's placing heaven in these pockets of earth. And then now, for the first time when Christ came and we put our faith in him, we have the capacity to house God. We have the capacity to do that last command, obey me. Because when Jesus took the penalty of our sin, he also freed us from the power of sin. And now we have the opportunity to obey God. Remember the covenant language? I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will cause you to obey me. Now we have the ability to be true image bearers. We have the ability to establish his kingdom. So where's your land? Where are you called to cultivate and rule a land? Well, first and foremost, you've heard it here a hundred times. It's right here. It's the only person that you can control. 
It's understanding and recognizing that God first took this over. So now my job is to continue to surrender and allow him to rule and to have the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on the person of Nick Ewing. Now, where else do you grow that kingdom? How about your home? You can't fully control the people within your home. And I don't think that's the request. But you can influence those people around you. That is your number one ministry. And if God is my Lord and my land is first my family and then my close friends and then my church and then my workspace and then my neighborhood, that's where we're called to express God. That's where we're called to further cultivate a place that Jesus is king. If you're a husband or a wife, bring that kingdom to your spouse. Be an ambassador, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, of God. The most important part of a kingdom is what? The king. If you're a 15-year-old who has a little sister, bring the kingdom of God to your little sister. Express who Jesus is as Lord in you, in your land. That's what it looks like to cultivate your space. Include them in things. Show kindness. And you will begin to see the kingdom of God multiplying and growing. How about how you treat your parents? Parents, how about how we treat our sons and our daughters? Understand Image bearer is ambassador. What's ambassador mean? To go in the name of the king, his name written on our forehead, on his behalf. Why? He's still growing his kingdom. We all have the same task that Adam and Eve did, and thank Jesus Christ that he has equipped us to do this and do this well. Now, here's the deal. I know a lot of times we use words and verses like Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. We sing songs about thriving and not just surviving. I get the heart of those things. I I understand what we're saying, but I really believe an abundant life is relative. I think God knows, as we've seen in the book of Revelation, that it is full of suffering. It is full of calls for endurance and so throughout the bible we have abundant life in a cursed land we have hope and joy because of what we can experience yes here and now but ultimately what we will experience in perfection later i don't have to talk you guys into recognizing and understanding that there is deep heartache here But again, I think when we understand, we know we can usher in glimpses of heaven in the midst of the unraveled world. It gives you purpose, it gives you endurance, and it gives you hope to continue forward. And is that not what we've been reading in this book? And is that not what you experience in your life? That understanding that you can bring good here and that one day it will be brought for all time keeps you going, does it not? gives purpose 
in the suffering and in the heartache. Let's continue to read. Verse 10 says, And he said, the angel said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do what is right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, and bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Part of what I think is going on here is we understand that Jesus is coming. Throughout Scripture, it says no one knows the time or the hour, but it says he's coming quickly. It's hard to know what it means when he's, his coming is near or soon, isn't it? But all throughout this, we are called to posture and live because when he does come, it says that will come like a thief in the night. I don't know the hour of when I stand before God. We don't know the time when he comes down and says, make your choice. Either live in humble obedience and surrender or defiance and disbelief. There's two camps. Humble belief or defiant disbelief. And so I think his point is continuing to warn or promise. It depends what camp you're in, right? These are incredible promises for those who have come underneath the king. These are warnings for those who have not. Why would God do that? Why would he continue to show us that he must eliminate evil and show us what that's going to be like? Remember in 2 Peter it says, God is not slow as some count. What's he being patient for? Not wishing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance and be saved. So as a Christian, this helps me endure when I just want nothing more than God to come and deliver us from these bodies of aches and pains and from death and from cancer and from miscarriages and from seeing our parents die or our kids die or abuse or mishandling. And your heart just longs for it to be done, right? And this helps me when I recognize God isn't slow, but he's being patient so that my friend who doesn't know him can be with me and reign with him in all goodness. That heart of compassion that says, I don't know if I can bear what I'm going through, but God promises to sustain me for the sake of those. That makes suffering different, doesn't it? And if that's all we get, I don't know if we can endure it. But when we know better is coming, then you can look and see the faces of people and your neighbors and pray for them that they too might come underneath the goodness of the king. So continue to see the heart of God of this invitation. And that's what we get at the end of Revelation 22. Well, I can't, I can't skip Revelation 22. 2214 it said blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have a right to the tree of life and remember that picture of the tree of life is fruitfulness everywhere we get a right to that if we've taken on the robe of jesus they might enter into the city 
Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The one thing that has really stuck out to me as we've read this is God's judgment on evil is to destroy evil. It's purifying, right? It's to refine. It's like we turn the heat up on metal so that the only thing left is purity, is goodness. That's dross is removed. We think about that with a diamond when it's covered with all kinds of earthen and it's chipped away. What remains? Beauty, purity. That's what God's doing with his kingdom. And so as he's saying, I must get rid of the impurity, it's, it's reserved for those who not just, oh, I never knew God, uh, not just I was kind of ignorant of what he wanted, but I was really a good person. We all know those people. But the language is for those who overtly reject him. The language is for those who love and practice evil. And even then, God continues to say, come, come, repent, repent. This is what's coming. Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Please come, come. But there are those that continue to say, no way. All the people that are in your life that are really good people, that you love deeply, I think it's helpful. I don't know. But I think those are those that they don't seem to practice and love and embrace evil. You know who I'm talking about. I think I'm praying that those people are in process. I'm praying that those are the people that God is continuing to woe, continuing to call. And those are the people that at one point will recognize and realize this is the day of salvation. Come underneath the king so that you can experience the kingdom. And this is exactly what we get in 17. It says the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? The church. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. So here's the invitation. I really believe it is a wide invitation. But the way is narrow. The invitation is opened up. But scripture is very clear that the only way to come to the Father is through the Son. Right back to the work of Jesus Christ. Right back to the perfect life of Jesus. The death, substitutionary death, the resurrection of Jesus. The plea and the desire is come, come, come. Drink from me the water of living, the living water, and you'll never thirst again. Sound familiar? Over and over and over, the Bible is telling the same story. That God wants to establish a place where he reigns because he alone is good, and he has chosen to share that goodness, to share the victory of Jesus with people. And as he calls and invites us into that goodness, our choice, our option, is either to be about our Father's business and let him reign in my heart so that I express him in my land and I bring others into that kingdom, or is to continue to defy him and say, I'll play God in my own life. And then I can be a part of the destruction. Then I'll be a part of the stain. Then I'll be a part of the brokenness.
John 7, 37, Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I believe we too will then become a part of that image in Revelation chapter 22. Let's pray. Father, life is complicated. It's hard to make sense of things that take place. Sometimes it's hard to order our day and to figure out what we're supposed to do. But God, you have made yourself known to us. It's pretty unarguable that this world is full of disaster, that creation has been unraveling. But God, we do see you restoring. And for us, it does look slow. But we look forward to the day that your kingdom continues to grow into its fullness. And for now, God, would you please show us what obedience looks like? Would you please show us what simple surrender to you looks like? So that as you reign in our hearts, that we will cultivate a land and that your kingdom will grow and we will bring others into that. And God, we just thank you for your work and your promise that we too will have a place forever in your presence. We love you and we praise you. Amen.
promised life beyond the grave. Thanks so much for being here. Pray that we'll see you guys Wednesday night and next Sunday. And uh, continue to praise the Lord as you go.